0: Tell your friends about it if you like it. If you don't, let's just pretend you didn't listen to it. Thanks again for coming in, and we hope you enjoy the show. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Privacy, Please. I am your host, Cameron Ivey, and with me, as always, my co-host and friend and, you know. Bagman, I'll, bag I'll be Bagman. I'll be Bagman this week. Can I be the Bagman? Bagman? With a G? Bagman? Yeah, man? with a G. <laughs> All right. All right. <laughs> Well, well, you know him as you know him as Gabe Gums. Gabe, how you doing, man? I'm well. How are you? I'm doing. Uh, Coming in on a Friday Eve this week. Yeah, thank God. Almost there. True. Almost there. But we do we do have a really special guest on with us today. Some of you might actually know who he is. You should. Uh, Paul Asidorian. He is from Security Weekly, and also he's the Chief Innovation Officer at Cyber Risk Alliance. Um, I don't know, Gabe, if you want to kind of give him a little bit more of an in-depth intro before he jumps on. Yeah,
1: no, we'll, we'll, we'll let Paul speak for himself, but uh, I certainly want to welcome him on the show. Um, and to your point of whether or not folks may or may not know him, so Paul is one of the original podcasting OGs. For our regular listeners that, uh, that play along at home and tune into a lot of the other privacy podcasts, Paul Paul has multiple security podcasts and has been at this well before podcasting kind of blew up hell i think even before joe rogan decided to get into podcasting paul was in podcasting so uh security practitioner turned podcaster um still coding is still coding away last time i checked too, uh coder oh yeah, yeah and just og security podcast so paul from me to you thank you for coming on the show you've had me on your show hell i don't know how many times it doesn't easy a lot a lot, a lot. <laughs> it's good to have you on it's good to have you on and-
2: <laughs> yeah cam and gabe thanks for having me on the show It's uh, truly an honor. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I like, uh, I did another podcast actually recently too, and the term OG came up, which I think is hilarious (laughs) because I'm a huge hip. I'm a huge hip. That's right. That's right. Uh, So I did a talk at DerbyCon around
1: security and hip hop.
2: So that was a lot of fun.
1: For those who, again, never even listened to the show, much less have uh, been in the studio, if you're in the studio while the, the team's recording and prepping and finishing, there's there's a lot of Wu Tang going on. There's a whole lot of Wu Tang in the background. Yes,
0: a lot of Wu Tang. <laughs> yes. Wu Tang forever. Yes, which by the way, for the children, Wu Tang is for the children. <laughs> the children,
1: that's right. Wu Tang, a lot of kids. A lot of kids. <laughs> did you see that that um, that Wu Tang album that Mark Schreier had purchased? He was the he yes. was the CEO of that pharma yes. company, and it was like that one print copy yep. of it government just sold it off but there's a clause did the government oh, sell it man. we
2: were wondering because yeah, they took all, to all of his assets, assets.
1: he paid like, 000, 000 yeah, he paid for, like a million dollars right? they took all of his assets yeah because you know he was he was he was playing games with the prices of insulin and all kinds of other nonsense that's uh no bueno mm-hmm. um but there's a clause and there. there's a privacy clause that no one's supposed to know who bought it of course he couldn't keep his map shut about buying it but nonetheless um so now we don't know whose hands it's in your job should you choose to accept it paul Track down to Wu-Tang. <laughs> That's
2: right. I know. Because, like, as a Wu-Tang fan, I want nothing more than to, like, yes. listen to the album. Yes, yes, yes,
1: All right. Anyway, let's get into it, Cam. That's
0: interesting. Yeah. So, uh, Paul, if you want to just kind of dive into it and give the listeners a little bit of your background, where you came from and how you got to where you are today.
2: Yeah, sure. So I started in technology at a really young age. In fact, it was kind of funny. I was at the DMV. And the lady was just talking to me because she, you know how long it can take at the DMV. Right. And I'm like, yeah, I started like writing software now. It's like seven years old. Uh, and she's like, oh, like, I didn't know they had computers back then. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, like, wow. I'm like, really old now, too, apparently. We said OG,
1: um, not dinosaur. <laughs> but,
2: <laughs> right? Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, I started uh, coding in BASIC on an Apple IIe, which kind of spawned my love for computers. Um which went through many different phases. Uh, you know, I like to say in, in junior high school, wasn't so big on technology because uh, it was more into girls and like the social scene uh, and kind of rediscovered my love for technology and software uh, in high school uh, where I took some programming classes, which is really funny. I was t- telling the story to someone else recently too that when I was in high school um, – my math scores really sucked. Like math is not my strong suit. And I'm always like, we have computers because they do math really well. Mm -hmm. I just got to tell them how to do it. Uh, And so I took a basic computer class in high school. I'm like, oh, I remember this. It literally was like riding a bike. I'm like, oh, I remember all this. This is really cool. And so then I applied to go take the advanced programming class, which at that time was Pascal again I'm old uh, and you know the vice principals like you know I I don't know You're like we're not supposed to let you take this class because your math scores are really are really poor I'm like yeah but like I really like uh, computers and doing this stuff He's like, well if you get an a in basic I'll let you take Pascal I'm like all right done so I get an a in basic and then I got an a in Pascal and I'm like school was not that easy for me in any other <laughs> subject right now that it was easy right but it was just a passion right so um passion to take was, like,
0: to new heights
2: that's it that's it and i did have a passion for paintball after that too you know kind of slight diversion uh and then the ownership of the store changed hands and like one day i was just like similar to half-baked I didn't quite use that language, but like, I'm out, right? <laughs> it's a little more polite about it than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm like, I'm out. Uh, and then I'm like, I really do want to get a job uh, because you know having some cash is, is good. Sure. Uh, and I applied for a job at a company at the time that was called Retail Store Systems that did point of sale systems. And I had to write some code on a whiteboard to show that I knew how to program. And I mean, when I say I started at the bottom of... I like to tell us to all my my interns that that come through. Uh, We have kind of like a – actually, more formal now intern program here at Security Weekly. And I'm like, I started at the bottom. And the bottom at that time was uh, I was called the Bub, which stood for Backup Boy. And so, it was my job at the end of the workday to go to every developer's uh, workstation that had a physical backup drive that worked on tapes uh, and execute the backup of their system so whatever software they wrote for that day would be backed up on each individual computer. And that was my job. And not all of the backup drives had, like, the knob, so I had, like, vice grips that I'd have to turn the thing, and I, I couldn't screw it up because if something bad did happen. They wanted to restore, right. you know, their entire day of,
1: of writing code, so that, that's where as I, I started. Because I, as I understand it, GitHub still works that way. You need You need the pliers still to... It's GitHub's new
2: logo. It's just a pair of No one really understands how – few understand how Git works, okay? Most of us still have to look it up when we do do stuff in Git. There was a great reference to that in Gene Kim's book, The Unicorn Project, right? Where he's painting the rock star you know, programmer – I forget her character's name in the book. But he did a great job defining the character. And even though – he built that character up as being a really great technical person. She's like, "Oh,
1: I still have to look it up how I run those commands in Git." I'm like, "Now I don't." You have, have that. no <laughs> idea how often I still have to reference to get uh, help, like all the right. time, all the time. Git T fan versus yep. GitHub. But nonetheless, I'm like, I don't remember, I don't. but it's awesome. Yeah, so I, I
2: still, it is, and I, you know, I still, uh, I very much stay technical because I can't, I can't get away from that, and that's just the way, the way I've shaped my career is. I want to stay technical. Um, so I still write software. I love coding in Python and taking on technical challenges. Uh, it's not like a good day for me unless there's a technical challenge that is driving everyone nuts uh, that, that I have to solve. Uh, I, I think before I would, in you know, working in tech, I would kind of loathe those mm. days. Now I look forward to like, what's the great, like, is something broken? Like, what is the great technical challenge
1: of, mm-hmm. of the day? Like, let's mm-hmm. go solve it. Speaking of technical challenges, so your show—tell us first of all—tell us about the shows plural. So list them and and kind of give the listeners uh, sure. like the thirty-second pitch of them.
2: Yeah. So, uh, Paul Security Weekly was the first show that we created, which was interesting because it didn't start out with that same name. So I learned much as I love technology, I had to learn about business and intellectual property and trademark. Uh, so we had to change the name uh, and, and go with just security weekly. Um, but that was a show that I started uh, with my good friend, Larry Pesce, who is still a host on the show with me. Uh, we started in 2005 uh, when I was working in university and that show still relaxed, but very technical. So, you know, it, we start recording at 6 PM, and we usually start drinking before that. <laughs> um, and our our hosts and guests, you know, we're all kind of having cigars and drinks. And it's a very relaxed environment where, I, I mean, the goal for the show is just to sit around, have a good time, uh, you know, have a few beers and, and talk yeah. shop. And, and that has very much uh, carried forward, uh, you know, in the 16 show. 16 years. So, That's
1: impressive. It's still one of my favorite shows, to say the least. But you Yeah. Know.
2: Oh, yeah. thank you, thank you so much. Yeah, I think consistency is is important. Uh, certainly, being early helped, um, but I also think that the other differentiator is everyone on the show today and everyone on the show since two thousand five are we're practitioners, right? right? So we always are practicing security in some way, you know, not everyone is a pen tester, not everyone's a programmer, some work in compliance, some CISOs or whatever, but we're all working in security. And that was the most important thing for me in the show is we got to talk shop to talk shop. We have to walk the walk. Um, so that was important. Being early was just lucky. Uh, and being consistent was important too. Uh, you know, I, I don't do well with, like chaos and scheduling like i've got like a little adhd kind of going mm-hmm. on and so for me having that regular recording time where every week at this time where we're, we're going to do this show uh, was important uh, you know my wife and i often talk about how much of life i've missed out on things that have happened on thursday <laughs> nights uh, which is kind of a bummer uh,
1: but you know you got you have to make those decisions yeah. right yeah so. i know that i know that feel all too well my Tuesdays and Thursdays have turned into that where they're, they're extended yeah. work days on those two days in particular and so right. I try not to miss out on too much and the rest of the you know friends and family try it's to hard. schedule things if they want me to be included they know like uh, that's going to be tough for them yeah. but right. th- Thursdays yeah, are out for Paul yeah. right. but yeah no, some things have been missed on Thursdays so
2: it is um, so then we We always had kind of a news show um, because, you know, you guys have listened to the show before. We do a news segment on Paul Security Weekly, which is really a discussion, and it's the last segment. So we've had a few drinks, (laughs) and we have that. So it's a lively discussion. It goes in a lot of different directions. And I think really identifying with my audience, listening to my audience, I knew that there were some folks that they just wanted the news. They didn't want the whole long kind of drunken discussion, right? They just wanted the news. And so, uh, today that show is security weekly news. It's hosted by my good friend, Dr. Doug white, uh, who just does an amazing Doug's job. Awesome. I mean, there is that man yeah. is yeah. so creative. Like the stuff that he yeah. comes up with off the top of his head is just amazing. Total shout out to Doug, uh, And he does a fantastic job with yeah. that show. So, um, that show's growing really well. Um, Enterprise Security Weekly was an interesting one and that stemmed from my work when I was at Tenable in understanding the security market. Like what products are coming out, what problems are they solving, do they actually work? I'm like, you know, that that could be a podcast. It turns out that was a pretty unique niche for a security <laughs> podcast. Uh and I, you know, I'll be honest, it's one of the easier ones to sell, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? Cuz I mean we're talking sure. about vendor solutions, we're talking about products. And so vendors want to be on that show. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and I think it does a really good job uh, and and will continue, right, with my supervision, though I might now always be the the host on it, uh, of talking about solutions that work, like what works, what's out there that works, you know, what what solves the problem for people.
1: Uh, And I think that's really important. I still tune into that one because it personally gives me some insight Mm -hmm. into what... Others are finding works for them. You know, I know, I know vendors get a lot of, of, uh, gruff in this industry. In fact, I saw, saw someone on LinkedIn the other day giving, giving vendors more nonsense. Like if someone blind Mm -hmm. emails me again and says XYZ, I'm going to tell them to never buy this product again. And so, you saw that thread? (laughs) You know what the first thing I did when I saw that thread was? I went and I looked up his company. It's like, oh, look. This is company. They, too, sell stuff. And then I went and looked at the people. At the company's like, oh, look, they have an outbound calling team. I wonder how many people they send things to. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to get mm-hmm. off of that one because that, that one rubs me just like like sandpaper. Like, mm-hmm. come on. Um, especially because those are usually young folks early in their, their careers, too. Like, they don't they don't need that kind of – they're just trying to do their job. Right.
0: But I love – You don't like sand? Well – Rubbed against your skin? Not like
1: that. Not like that. <laughs> not like that. I mean, it's coarse yeah. and yeah. rough, no and, you know. But that show, in particular, sand people. Sand people had a bad relationship there's with my the mom. Sand, the you sand know, worms. You don't know want the sand, yeah. <laughs> the sand worms and sand, yeah. There's all kinds of sand creatures, sand golems. Like nothing good comes from any of that. Golems,
0: yes. <laughs> sand tremors, sand tremors. Yeah.
1: yeah, you don't want that in your life. But that show, in particular, Paul, is still probably one of the um, one of the ones that I do religiously tune into for that reason. It gives me such a nice mm. peripheral view. Of what problems are being solved for by whom and how in a condensed manner. Right. It's honestly one of my it's one of my secret powers. I'm I'm now giving that little tip away, but it is.
2: Yeah, and it, it's cool to talk about funding acquisitions, mergers, uh, companies going public. You know that that's a fun aspect to that show as well. Uh, there's some great hosts I have on that
1: show that you know go deeper into some of those areas, uh, which is really nice. Speaking of congratulations. So the oh yeah so so your your team and and your podcast and your entire organization was picked up by the Cybersecurity Risk Alliance uh, group as they expand out their their security offering. So that's um, that's a lot of hard work uh, paying off a little bit there. Tell us a little bit about that one.
2: Yeah, you know, I I think the the reasons for me, uh, you know, for doing that were I. Could foresee a day, and I think we 're realizing that now, where much of the security market has been consolidated right we 've seen a lot of big companies like Microsoft mm-hmm. Cisco IBM, HP playing in the security space, but playing a more prominent role in the security space right and we 've seen a lot of acquisitions and consolidation, and I knew that I, I had a tough time on my own. Going after larger accounts, going after companies once they were acquired by a larger company, and diversify. I could only diversify my portfolio outside of podcasting so mm-hmm. much. So, I mean, we added webcast as a component. You know, I didn't want to be an events company because mm. it's just a whole bunch of logistics good. that yeah. go along good with choice. that. Good choice, given now, Blake. Right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> especially recent yes. events. Very good choice. Um, And, you know, I mean, we did some articles and writing, but I knew that building out a staff to do that was really expensive. So I was like, kind of at this juncture, like, I'm either going to have to take funding if I want to continue to grow or I'm going to have to get acquired. I mean, both of those were on the table for quite some time. Um, You know, I made the decision. Again, it's not for everyone has their own journey. You know, I've established I like to be a technical person. So I'm like, I I don't want to be CEO. Like, I know it's my company and all, but. I want to go hire someone that really loves being the CEO. Like I'm a CTO. Now I have Chief Innovation Officer, which I think is a very fitting title. I agree. Uh, with as you. well. My nickname is the Salad Shooter. Like I have a lot of ideas <laughs> like salad. all the time. And I'm like, wow. Like you could have called me chief salad shooter. That would've been but Innovation Officer probably sounds That's a little good. better, right? That's real good. <laughs> so it was very fitting. And so I brought up Matt Alderman as my CEO and it's just a great relationship, you know, for so many reasons. I'm like, I need that person to really drive the business, to work with the business leaders in the security community, while I work on the tech. I spend a lot of time actually writing code and software that helps distribute our podcasts uh, and staying technical to have the content for the shows. I'm like, that's my thing. Yeah, uh, I can cover the business side and Matt understood the technical side. So, uh, you know, we just, we found a, a great partner uh, in the Cyber Risk Alliance whose portfolio I think. Really helped us and aligned with our goals. We have alignment with the other business units. So they had an events company with InfoSec World. They had acquired uh, two kind of forum style businesses. You know, one one for CISOs in particular. Uh, you know, the CISO audience was was hard for us. We did create Business Security Weekly to appeal to CISOs, right? But our core audience are still very much, uh, you know, practitioners. Uh, even with Business Security Weekly. And uh, SC Media as well. So they had that editorial, you know, kind of arm. I'm like, man, we could go build all this stuff. Uh, Or we could, you know, get acquired by Cyber Risk Alliance (laughs) and then we've got all these pieces now. Now, post acquisition, putting all those pieces together from five different companies is Mm -hmm. a challenge. Yeah. Uh, In in a lot of different aspects. But uh, I, I think it was absolutely the right decision. And. Uh, You know, it's really fun to work with all the different business units and, and try and merge them together. It brings forth a lot of interesting challenges ones that I would never even have anticipated once,
1: until you were, like, in the thick of things, right? I think it's fair to say you were your own CEO for a number of years, though, but recognizing that you'd gotten to yeah. the point where you needed to, in order to get to that next level, you needed you, you needed someone else whose sole job was going to be to wake up and think about that and not all the other things mm-hmm. um, was awesome. Yeah. And the Cyber Risk Alliance um, network, like, especially for, again, you know, some of us folks have been around this for a while, like SC Media, like, you know, that's been just a staple in my life for as long as I can remember being in technology, right? Like those, those are, uh, those have been very informative and and fulfilling parts of, of, uh, the ecosystem and and echo chamber, if you would. I have a question. Yeah. Cause I know some of the answers, but I guess don't, you talked about staying very technical and distributing all those things and still writing code. Um, how has, the podcasting process evolved for you, specifically as a security podcaster, right? So there are a couple of elements in there. There's first, there's the getting all of those folks on the show, because as you and I know, a security folks can be a little cagey. Mm-hmm. So you know, you have to have some relationships first. First off, yep. But then the second half of that is because you do, as they say in the industry, a volume business, my friend. Like you've got, <laughs> you got multiple platforms, multiple yep. shows. How do you guys push that much content? Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a
2: time it's interesting you ask that because there was a time for a while where
1: I was doing a lot of the post-production. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm trying no to get it. Um, Which today, by the way, is all cams. And, uh, cam's listening intently like, cause I do all the post-production. Gabe just shows up.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and so what I realized at, uh, so I should also start. So when I worked at a uh, university, uh, I was a Solaris systems administrator and I really loved the, so, I mean, I had, it was a team of us, maybe a hundred, you know, Solaris systems, uh, that we were responsible for, uh, including send mail for like 30,000 users. And, you know, the slogan of, I can replace you with a very small shell script really <laughs> resonated with me. Right. I, I, because like people think like, oh, you do Unix, you, you really like to type and stuff. Yeah. Like, no, I really like yeah. to automate things because I don't like to type it. Uh, and I can't manage all this stuff unless I automate some things. And so I'm editing the, the podcast and publishing them out to various outlets. And I'm realizing that it takes about, I forget the exact math. If it took three hours to record the show, it took at least three hours to do the post-production, uh, sometimes longer right? Sometimes it could be as much as six hours to get that out. Yeah. And I'm like, I have to automate this. And so we started to develop and uh, design and develop software that would basically help us with post-production and publishing. Uh, I was doing a lot of copy and pasting and spreadsheets and stuff like that to keep track of things. And I'm like, this is a software problem. Um, So we started developing this application called PPWorks. And it was helping us automate the production of that, and without that, I was not able to grow to as many shows as I have today. So when we look, it, it eventually like all roads led to PP Works. So I was like, well, we need to track guests, we need to track hosts, we need to track sponsors, we need to track slots on all of these shows, we need to track announcements, and make sure everyone's reading the right announcement. So it really helped us automate not just the production and the post-production, but now the pre-production Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, of everything and collect stats. And now it's growing to a point where I'm like, I want a customer portal where sponsors can log in and get their things. And we're building a React interface for it and an API. And, you know, it's it's really cool to see uh, the progression from basically like a tool where I was like, we need a shell script to help us, you know, pump out the podcast uh, to have it be this kind of living, breathing application that, really everyone in the organization will interface with at some point, right? The salespeople need to see the schedule. Yeah. Uh, the customers need to see what commercial ran in their last program. Um, you know, production engineering obviously is, is using it. They upload all
1: the videos so, to it. Selfish like question. That, is so. it ready yet? I want my hands on it. Cam needs his hands on it. Is it ready yet? Can we get it? Yeah. I will talk after the show. It's not,
2: (laughs) it's really still kind of a tool for us. I I do want to, you
1: know, get that out there. You are onto something. uh, So So like right now we're lucky enough. We don't have a lot of the problems you do, but we want to have some of those problems at some point. Most of our work is on the pre-production side. I mean, that's not to be fair. Cam does a ton of post-production. Like Like last week, he had to do a shitload of post-production. That's a different story. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Whole different story. It does happen. Been there. But in the pre-production side, yeah, we've got to track a lot of things, right? Like there's always a lot of moving parts, and, and we just because you know I'm a man mm-hmm. with 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 a hammer, so everything looks like a nail. So I just use like a straight up Kanban board, right. and we just move those things to the yeah. No, those yeah, work. It, just, it works. <laughs> right? Yeah, like it works. And Cam and I just the, track the it right problem that.
2: is yeah, the problem with well, the problem with spreadsheets uh, and Kanban boards to a certain extent is once you have a larger team. In a workflow, the notifications throughout the workflow don't—they don't exist in things like spreadsheets Mm -hmm. uh, and com—I mean, comma boards maybe. Still not um, that great, but they're not. Yeah, they're not workflow tools, and it's still a lot of copying and pasting. It, It, you know, I I think for us, one of the advantages of having our software is when you're a guest and you come on our show and you submit your information, it exists in one place in the database, Mm -hmm. and everything else pulls from that. Automatically, because to put out eighteen hours worth of podcast content a week, it needs to be automated. And I can't have people going, "Oh, the guest name is spelled wrong here," but not mm-hmm. you know not, one one record uh, and notifications.
1: You know when things happen, or uh, what's missing from a lot of tools. Mm-hmm. Let's switch gears a little bit. Let's let's talk a little more shop. You've been doing this for 16 years. I mean, well, you've been in the business for long that, but the podcasting in particular for that long trends. I want to talk Mm -hmm. about the things that, that, that are just like reoccurring themes because you speak to an ungodly number of practitioners on any given day of the week and they're, they're all, they're all in the weeds too. So what's, what's happening out Mm -hmm. there in the world? What are some of the conversation topics that, that just won't die, won't go away, keep coming back or even some of the new ones? Vulnerability management and
2: prioritization, which is kind of funny because I worked for Tenable for about seven years. Um, That topic won't it won't go away. I mean, there's new vendors. There's um, you know, kind of spoiler alert in our labs product, which we haven't talked about. Right, we evaluate uh, categories in cybersecurity for uh, you know particular solutions, and we're currently working on vulnerability management and it's amazing how it's still an issue in so many different ways and it's evolved greatly. I think differently about how you would identify exposures or vulnerabilities, Mm -hmm. manage that process, remediate that process and, you know, lather, rinse, repeat, uh, that whole process. Uh, we did attack surface monitoring or management, however you want to phrase it and how that tied into vulnerability management, right? Like having something on the outside that is looking at where are your websites, where are your users, where's your data, what what's vulnerable, what's exposed is what some of those tools do. Like what is your attack right. surface? Um, and, and then how that relates to vulnerability management, where I'm actively scanning what I know about uh, and getting a list of what needs to be fixed then how do you prioritize that, which is a totally separate thing, how you operationalize that, which is super hard, you know, that gets in the patch management and how all those things tie together. Uh, I think is really kind of the number one thing that we're working on. Um, my job right now is to look at open source, uh, vulnerability scanning and monitoring, which has been really super cool, uh, and, and super fun. There's a lot of great tools out there, but you know, as with most things open source, you got to kind of roll your yeah. own and, and it falls down you end up needing, needing solutions.
1: Are the – because it's not a space I've spent a lot of time looking at recently, although it's a space I used to spend an ungodly amount of time in as well too. But open source or closed source, are the are – the, well, let's look at it this way. Is the vulnerability management space acknowledging that the risks that arise from unauthorized access – is now only one half of the picture and that we need to be able to assess vulnerability management from a authorized aspect perspective. And what I'm getting at here very intentionally is their security risk and their privacy risk. And I don't know of a way today to mm-hmm. autom- in an automated fashion, identify technical privacy risks, such as you have two systems that are interconnected and sharing information You know, across organizations that they shouldn't. That is obviously not a you-haven't-patched-the-box scenario, but it's very much a privacy Mm. vulnerability scenario. It's like nothing's happened yet. This is not an incident. It's not an issue. We we may not even have shared any actual data, but we have a system that is configured such that we have a a privacy vulnerability. I mean, I I don't know if anyone started thinking about that in vulnerability space, but I'd I'd be curious to hear what, what you're kind of just uncovering on the surface so far.
2: Yeah, I think that that plays in the data security space. It plays in the compliance space. um,
1: Definitely in the compliance space. To help
2: you uncover those, right? To help you uncover those situations, I think healthcare is an interesting example where there's very well-defined laws about the data, what that data is, who and how it's, you know, who it's shared with, how it's shared, mm-hmm. uh, and things of that nature. I mean, so much so that if you know anyone that works in healthcare, they've, they've got to deal with HIPAA in some, sure. in some capacity. And, but then what are the, you know, systems in place to monitor that? I think it's a combination of people and systems, right? It helps
1: monitor that situation. Just cross-border data transfers from a, uh, again, from a privacy perspective, Mm -hmm. like, can can we identify those things with our same vulnerability systems? Because if those systems are interconnected and one of them isn't patched, my prioritization just got a little easier. Yeah. Right. Like, that that sucker shot up. Yeah,
2: it's interesting. I I think most of that kind of goes into... Yeah. you know, you get into configuration management and compliance management, which are often modules in a lot of vulnerability management companies to say, you know, this system is part of our PCI compliance. Therefore that's a whole different set of standards. And if there's something vulnerable, there's very prescriptive, uh, not even advice, but regulations that, that say you have to patch it, uh, and things of that nature. Um, so, if I'm not mistaken, yeah, it's, it's interesting how that plays together. I don't know there's great solutions in the out there that are kind of integrating that. I, I know the big phone management players are in the configuration management, but that's not necessarily the data management either. That's how the system's configured. <laughs> yeah. Some of them will tell you what kind of data is on there, but then you start getting the DLP and other and other kind of solutions as well. Look, I'm too
1: busy building other things, so I'd go build that one too. But it 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 needs to be built. It most like we need yeah. it. the industry needs it. It needs to get built. Mm-hmm. If, if I'm not mistaken, the RSA Innovation Sandbox winner not this year, maybe last year, maybe the year before was a was a startup that was a combination of volume management and an asset management because that realization yeah. of yeah. It's you know, it goes back to things we talk about all the time. It's like, yeah, you want to know what vulnerabilities you have, you should probably know all of the systems you have first. Right? Yep. Like that's a that's a challenge we talk about a lot yeah. too. Um,
2: I like what HD Moore is doing with yeah. mobile for discovering what's on your network, but when you talk about asset management today, it's not the asset tag that's on your laptop. It's what presence do I have in the cloud, where is all my data, where are all my users? Uh, what are all my credentials? My a- all of that is an asset that has to be that has to be yeah. tracked, and I think that's where some of the Jupiter ones and Bit Discovery even now is yeah. that the other Grossman. one?
1: Grossman. You remember you? Gr- yeah, Jeremiah's yeah. got. Uh,
2: yeah, so I talked with Jeremiah when we did. He participated in the the product review that we did for asset management. He's got a a very, uh, like really. Great focus on, the, on yeah. the problem, right? He's like, we make a copy of the internet, and we go find your yeah. stuff in that copy <laughs> of the internet, and we tell you about it. And he's sticking to his guns, and he's not taking ungodly amounts of funding, and he's doing a, he's doing a great job, you know. And then there's different you know aspects to uh, to doing that across the different vendors and attack surface monitoring. Uh, some are correlating that with with dark web data. I forget what platform it was. Found one of my wife's credentials on the dark web. I'm like, well, that's kind of good to know, and it is part of my attack surface, right? Uh, And and then we kind of beg the question, like, shouldn't a vulnerability management firm or vendor uh, have attack surface monitoring as part of it? Uh, And then you saw Rapid7 make an acquisition, and you see Qualys uh, actually building some of that in-house and making partnerships uh, to do that with things like Shodan. So uh, I think it is starting to, to merge together. I love
1: Shodan. Shodan still comes in so handy just for, for literal mm-hmm. fun and profit. Like, I have so much fun with it. But from a research perspective, um, we were using Shodan uh, a few months ago to dig into uh, – again, from this was a configuration issue too, right? We were looking at mm-hmm. – we were trying to, to identify better ways to find open S3 buckets or just open containers in general. We started with S3 that uh, that were susceptible mm-hmm. to exfiltration and contain sensitive data. Um, Shodan was part of that. Uh, there's a number of other tools out there now, too, that, that help with those things. But it, all roads tend to lead back to the, yeah. so you know where the things are. Can you can you tell me where the things are? Right, yeah. right.
0: And you mentioned Shodan. I immediately went to Shonup <laughs> from... Uh, of The Last aware Dragon. Of, <laughs> the Last Dragon, yeah. <laughs> show
1: was a show dance.
0: <laughs> <laughs> if anybody's familiar with that movie, it's a, it, I don't know, was that an 80s It is an 80s, is like a- 89. If you're not familiar, you need yeah. to go
1: watch it yeah. this weekend. Oh, my yes. God, it's so good. Yes, it is one of the best movies ever made. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's so good. That's- uh, underrated for sure. 85, 85. That's the, that's the year it was made.
0: Damn, is that I old? I
1: vaguely remember uh, that. Movie. That was like the, yes. Bruce, yeah, was he Bruce like Leroy. Red? Bruce Leroy. Not Bruce Leroy. Yeah. Bruce Leroy. That's
0: mm-hmm. what
1: it was. That's like, yeah. he had like a red yeah, outfit that's, or that's something like, like that. That, Right? His hair yeah. was like all,
0: yeah. he was like yeah. the villain. That's
1: still odd. Yeah. When there was an 80s, uh, pop star in there. What was her name? Uh, Vanity. Vanity was in it. All right. I'm right. taking myself. Oh, wow. Now. I'm, I'm done. That's it. Nah. Just go watch it. Go watch this I used go to watch, watch this. I this as spent
0: a
2: kid, my uh, my kids were watching uh they wanted to watch the new Fast and Furious, but it's not out yet. And I was too lazy to find other means to watch it. And so we ended up watching Tokyo Drift. We're watching Tokyo Drift and I'm like that that guy that plays the, the Yakuza like, boss, I'm like that's I'm like, that's Sonny Chiba. My wow. like, kids are looking at me like that's Sonny Chiba. I'm like Street Fighter. I'm like he was Hatori Hanzo in Kill Bill. I'm like <laughs> sure, and I looked at. Him, I'm like, oh yeah, that's him. I'm like, it's him. It's him. They're like okay, nah, they're like, all like, right, sure. Like what? You've never seen Street Fighter? He rips the guy's throat out at the end. It's all. Awesome.
0: <laughs> <laughs> they're like sure, pops. Whatever, whatever you say. Um, man, I'm curious to get Paul's take on this about the hundred dollar question. Do it. So oh, you can... So you sent me this
2: question. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I have I have an answer.
0: Oh, okay, awesome. Um, yeah. So if you only had a hundred dollar budget to use on data security um, and privacy, where where would you start with it?
2: So I re- uh, this is a really small budget because my first thought was I want to go buy YubiKeys for like everyone in the company, and then I'm like, okay, that covers two Tetsu people. UBG's. So that's that's <laughs> that idea. <laughs> I'm like, well, if I had $100, now it depends on how many people as to the quality of beer that I could get, mm-hmm. but I would buy beer for my entire company and then I would sit them down and I just talked about this on Enterprise Security Weekly and I think I would like my top three things for how you can protect yourself online, both for the company and both for your personal accounts, I would have beers with everyone and we talk about those, those three things and the first one would be to have a password vault. LastPass, one password, you know, whichever one you want to choose, uh, use a password vault. Then the second thing would be multi-factor authentication mm-hmm. um, of some kind. And we'll talk about you know various levels, right? YubiKey is great, but obviously they cost money. You have your phone, you can use SMS or an authenticator app, uh, and roll through that with them, and be like, you need MFA, especially on. The credentials that protect your vault, right? Have MFA on that. Um, And then add a pin to your cell phone account, like with your cellular provider, have a pin on that so you can't get SIM swapped. I think for me, those are like the top three things that I would tell people. If you want to protect your data, your privacy, your online accounts, you got to do those three things. I didn't
1: realize that the last one wasn't standard. That's talk about ignorance on, on the part of the. For some providers, yeah. it is for not all. I've had them. one on mine for all of them. a very long time, and I just yeah. assume is like, of course, like that's AT and AT and T
2: has been big on that. Now the, the attackers get sure, around, sure, sure, but um, you got to slow them down with social engineering. Yeah. You got you got to social engineer a little harder, yeah. you know, to get around it. Um, and and there we interviewed someone a couple of weeks ago, and he has a service that prevents SIM nice. swapping because he was SIM swapped. Uh, and has a, a really cool service that, that prevents that for your higher echelon, right. maybe bigger target. You know, You're whale you fishing. Well, you wouldn't. Listener, maybe listeners might be surprised. You two probably wouldn't be. That a high profile could be like, I've got a three-letter Twitter handle, or I've got a animal name Instagram account, and... Attackers will sim has swap has to get value, that and sell yeah, that online. Value to, especially yep.
1: something like that, where like the re, the the recourse for having lost your Twitter profile, is there's not a ton unless you're known. Like if it's just a, right. you're just an early adapter and you have a good mm-hmm. handle that someone will pay money for, but you're a, a relative unknown, Twitter's not doing anything, to me. Sorry, they're not. It's gone. Yeah. You know, there's there's something interesting yeah. there though. Cam is. Um, you, you can will remember the very first, uh, I think the first answer we got to this question, but certainly one of the ones that, that sticks out to this. But there's a recurring theme and education is that theme. Like no matter how folks express mm-hmm. it, when constrained mm-hmm. with resources, the, the solution that more people turn to is education. It's let's, let's get mm-hmm. the herd aware of what the attackers look like, right? Like, like teach the antelope to, to spot a jaguar kind of thing. How's that analogy holding yep. up? Anyone? 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 I don't even know if antelopes and jaguars are, are like you know in the
0: same regions, but that's, I'm going with it. <laughs> no, but you have. You we'll just go.
2: <laughs> just go. go with it.
0: Yeah, it's fine. You, you have. You have a point there because I don't think it would matter what the budget was in the first place. I think the answer should always be education. It shouldn't be a physical product. It should be yeah. educating yeah. properly. Yeah. Because I think that's one of the things in anything that's not done well or usually not done well enough or put uh, enough money into. The thing about products, because you
1: kind of carve the space out for them, is products can also serve to educate, whether that is you know, kind of visual clues of things that's happening in front of you or if it's an actual like, hey, don't do the thing. And I agree with you, though. It shouldn't just be any one of those things. Um, Education should come first, but like you folks have heard me rail about this before we're, we're not building the kind of solutions that empower everyone to participate in solving this problem and that's really what you're getting at there right like that education thing empowers everyone to help solve this problem versus just like everyone doesn't need to know how to use actual security products to go secure them. like they shouldn't have to and it right and they shouldn't have to know how to spot
2: every different attack out there right. either mm-hmm. i i i'm kind of in the camp of allow your users to understand that everyone online is probably going to lie to you. Like whether it's a text message, a phone call, however you get that communication, people are going to lie to you.
0: Right. Oh, so you're be saying skeptical. that uh, text I got yesterday about my, with my wife's name, by the way, it wasn't towards me. It was my wife's name and saying that your mortgage is ready. Uh, yeah. Click this link here. <laughs> right. Um, I don't think I don't so. so. Camp's like one mortgage it is seems good. to be happening more often now. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh, un, unsolicited communications is almost always a, a, a scam. Yeah. yeah. I think allowing your users to understand that will help them regardless of what the threat is, who the threat actors are, what they're after. Right.
0: I mean, really the text is the new phone call for, um, unfortunately, to I hate to kind of corner the, the elderly here, but that's, that's usually the most vulnerable that uh, kind of yeah. go for those things or, You know, oh, you can get you want you want access to my computer. Uh, yeah, let me give you my password real quick, and you can get in. Right, not even knowing the person. It's amazing how people just. And before, I used to give out my social uh, years ago, and now I I I love the fact that I'm aware when I'm filling out a a document, it actually says, you know, it has a the form to put in your social security number. I instantly just go, why do you need this? You don't need. No, you don't. Plus, it's good that they, I think they were forced to change it as an option because I think before, years ago, it was mandatory, if I'm not mistaken, to fill out certain forms.
1: (laughs) Mandatory with big ear quotes. Like, I mean, but yeah, yeah. you held over a barrel. It's like, you you want that root canal? Give me your social security number. It's like.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, back even, I was at university in 2001 is when I started and I believe they had just completed a project at the university I was at so that the student ID was not the social security number of the student. At that time, there were still many universities and colleges that did have your social security number as your student ID. Mm I remember that. And I think it was the, is it, Purpa, Purpa. The, some of those, yeah, some of those regulations, I, I think, actually mandated that no, you can't collect that, or if you do, like, you have to go through great lengths to
1: protect it, and there could be fines. Like, I, I think it really was regulation that Purpa helped did, helped did help change that. that and, uh there's there's one system in particular. I'm not going to bother plugging them because it's neither here nor there. But there's one system in particular that most unis have picked up on using, and it has, yeah, it's, yep. it's replaced that. Um, that's caused some interesting issues also because. Like we've, we've seen that in the wild where it's like, okay, now, now that's another thing that is now sensitive, but to us, not to the outside world, but to us. So even though it is non-representative of anything you can use outside of this environment, it is still very much tied to, and again, this goes back to that, that balance between privacy and security of like, you still have to secure that new number. You don't just get to treat it like, yeah. yeah, no, it's true and it's it's interesting i think too to to in our
2: education kind of uh, rant if you will that telling users they don't have to give the information when it's asked and i think a, a great example is when you're at the the checkout at a store and they ask for your phone number and most people are just like oh yeah like they asked for my phone number and i'm like no my phone number is not listed like i don't i don't have to give you that piece of data to complete a financial Transaction like I just don't right. At, physically in the store. You may have to fill that out, uh, you know, online as part of an online transaction. Uh, but you know, just knowing what data you have to share and what and what you don't, I think is is really important.
1: And why they collect it. So that's the thing that's changed with a lot of privacy regulation now is purpose mm-hmm. for processing and collect. Like you now have to have mm-hmm. my implicit buy-in. I have to opt in to how you're going to uh, share that. That's that's
2: some uh, that's progress, I think. Yeah, unless you're the DMV, (laughs) which I believe there's federal legislation that is going to restrict that. But that's why you get the calls about your cars warranted.
1: Yeah,
2: because your local DMV
0: has soldier. I was going to say, is that kind of common? I get that. I get that daily.
2: In that in. A lot of it you can't opt out of. That's right. Like the DMV just has your data and they just yeah. sell it. Unreal. And you can use services. I mean, you could do it on your own or use services to remove some of that. But in particular, that DMV data is pretty hard uh, to Because re- as soon as you remove it, you know they they might put it back or put it in a different in a different database. We interviewed someone that has a service that actually does that for you, and you can get pretty close yeah. of. Removing yourself from most of the things out there, but you really need a subscription service, I think, or just the time and energy to be able to go do it yourself.
1: Um, but you know, not everyone's equipped to do that. As, as it pertains to the DMV data, I'll tell you that I think it's it's near impossible. I've spent over the last call it decade and a half. Mm-hmm. I have one of those subscription services again. Not going to bother plug them, but I have one of those. Mm-hmm. Use them for a while. It scrubs a ton of stuff. It's gorgeous. It's fabulous. Yeah. It's great there. Yeah, I also have a uh, a nice firewall between professional and personal, um, you know, identities, if you would. It's actually it's not bad. It's Mm -hmm. pretty decent. Mm -hmm. Um, And I do spend some time once in a while cleaning up my own stuff. That's the last. That's the last mile for me that I legitimately, for the better part of like a decade, I Mm -hmm. still can't cross. I can't cross it. I still like the DMV. Will still They sell my data right out from under me, and it doesn't even matter what state I'm in. They all do yep. it now. And that's the one that I have not yep. been able to keep under lock, and I just can't. And it's because they just... I think the the person I interviewed from one of those subscription services, I can't remember the,
2: the name, but I, I think they said there's legislation uh, that is looking to squash yeah. that. And I'm like, I'm all for I'm that. Because I really, I mean... And you guys know I'm all, I'm all for uh, if you take my data, I should be able to say what data
1: you can collect from me, and you have to tell me how you're going to use it, and I should be able to opt Here's out. Here's another not-so-novel right? idea. If you're going to make 10 bucks in my data... Maybe I should get like two or three or hell, even five, right? Like maybe eight. And so we, we've we had at right. least one person on the show also that, that has a service that, that is democratizing that, uh, that selling of your data. I mean, Facebook is literally mm-hmm. worth billions with a B because they sell your data. And yeah, you, you certainly right. do get something in return. I don't know that it is proportional, though. In fact, it is most certainly not right. proportional to, to what they're getting. Or you could get free coffee. At I mean, a minimum. You know, my wife
2: came to me one day. She's like, Hey, I got the Dunkin' Donuts app. And she's like, I get free coffee. And I'm like, They're going to take your data. You know, that coffee's not free. She's like, What are you talking about? I don't have to give them money. I'm like, <laughs> Yeah, but you gave your information in the app, yeah. right? And she kind of just rolls her eyes like, <laughs> Oh, no, I like free coffee. I'm like, No, they're selling your data. Like, they're monetizing it. Right. They're not just giving out no. free coffee because that's a bad business right. model. Like, even someone just starting business school and other people, right? Most people know that's yeah, no bad to it. give things yeah. away for free if you're trying yeah. to make money. I'm like, they they are monetizing right. that. And she's like, yeah. I, I want, I my, free I want coffee. my free coffee.
1: <laughs> I understand and respect that position. And that's, that's the majority. I don't care. Here's the thing. I respect and yep. understand position because at that point, after speaking with you, she made an informed decision. Mm-hmm. Right, like versus most people, mm-hmm. just like ah, free coffee. Like making the informed decision. I'm okay right. if that's what you believe that is worth to you. Then go for it. Now, I might come along and tell you, hey, if you right. stop selling it to Dunkin' Donuts and only exclusively sell it to me, and I'll give you ten dollars a day. Is that worth more than your two dollar coffee? Right, and like that's what some of these new platforms right. are, are trying to do. Is like yeah, like I, I'd love to be able to bid my data out. I mean, there's a whole host of other issues, of course. Right, there's there's uh, yeah. you know the equality of of someone's data versus someone else's. Data and you know zip codes and all that good nonsense, but hell, yeah, it,
2: it's interesting. You, you guys posed the question of where where do I see data security and privacy heading in the, in the next several years, and I mm-hmm. think that I had like two scenarios. One is this very dystopian future that you've seen in a lot of like you know science fiction, and thank God there's fiction today, but where the corporations have just run rampant mm-hmm. and. there is nothing, there is no privacy anymore. And that everything about you is shared with big corporations and decisions are made based on your data and the behavior that they're inferring from your data. So your car insurance, your utility bills, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, your credit and loans, all of that is based on the data about you that they're making decisions on. So they're tracking my car, seeing how I drive and adjusting my rates accordingly. I mean, you could translate that to healthcare. Paul was on a podcast and smokes cigars now. His healthcare is going to is going to go up. Uh, you know, all those different data points are used against you, and no one has privacy in Paul's dystopian future. I don't know what you'd call that would,
1: that movie. I, I it would, would call be it a though. documentary of current day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what I would call it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just, I mean, everything you just but, described. You know, the yeah, other that happens. Yeah.
2: The other is the utopian future where. We have control of our data. There's regulations in place to limit what uh, data is collected about us and corporations have to give us control over our data. Mm -hmm. They have to destroy our data after a certain period of time. They have to tell me exactly what they're doing with it, who they're sharing it with, and I get to control what happens, right? That's like the complete other end of the spectrum. My guess is we'll uh, land somewhere in the middle. I, I do kind of believe regulation is a powerful tool uh, I think we saw that with GDPR to give people back control of their privacy and data.
0: Do you think that applies to the facial recognition that, uh, identities that were stolen?
2: Yeah, that's, that's a hard one. Biometrics is a, is a difficult one yeah. because once it's out there, it's out there and there's nothing you can do to to change that. Right. I mean, social security numbers, kind of the same thing in terms of piece of data that well, it's super hard to change. You can get a new one, right? You yeah. can change your name. Uh, you could change your face. I mean, don't get me. Maybe that is a little science fiction. You but you could. You could.
0: Hey, face off is uh, real.
2: It's 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 hard though. When it gets to biometrics, it's really hard. And I think that you could say that data should be protected when it's a fingerprint. But when my face is on camera everywhere, you know, you start to lose control of that, and that's that's dangerous.
0: Do you think that that, that part of it and like the deep fake uh, videos that are going to get more and more, I mean, those are already pretty realistic, but you, I know that they have software to detect, but I mean, do you think that that is going to be a big factor in altering the way privacy goes as well with the, the fake videos, making it not who the person is and then obviously the, the facial recognition and.
2: Yeah, I guess I'm kind of hopeful that, the technology will exist to create those, but I think it'll be a cat and mouse game with the technology to detect them. Yeah. Right? Because it, it's pretty hard to fully replicate a human. In fact, probably impossible today if you to think about it in those terms to fully replicate a human and have it not be detectable. Austin Dynamics is trying uh,
1: real freaking hard.
2: Yeah. Right. And, you know, there may be a time when we're in Blade Runner. Yeah. Which would be great movie but you know
1: <laughs> replicants that's what replicants that's right it's happening
0: it's interesting um so paul is there anything uh, that you can give our listeners around i think you kind of touched on it earlier um but is there anything that you want to add that we didn't get to talk about or around fixing your security um or just if there's anything that you want to talk about that we we didn't bring up during the show
2: yeah, I think when we talk about corporations fixing their security, and I talk to my friends that are doing pen testing today, and you know many of them are fairly now elite—I would call them elite penetration testers—where they're they're testing the companies that believed and put a lot of effort into their security and still having success. And I often ask them, I'm like, so what? What? What's the when you run up into a client that's a huge pain in the butt to have a successful pen test, what do those companies have in common? And I think oftentimes it comes down to uh, teamwork. Mm -hmm. So the people aspect of it, there is very much a team effort with respect to security. And that can only stem from buy-in from the top. um, But they're like the teams that really work together uh, with all people in the organization are certainly the hardest, right? Right. Uh, and the teams that have kind of nailed that people process technology, uh, kind of workflow. Uh, and so I, I think that, you know, we often want to just go buy something or, you know, check off this list of things that we can do to be secure. And we all know that in, when you work in security, that, that, that doesn't work. Uh, and I think teamwork is one of the, the missing elements to that. Uh, cause that's easier said than done, right? Having a team that can move fast, have the authority and work cohesively as a team. Uh, to identify things and remediate it quickly is is important.
1: That's great. Teamwork and communication that tends to be a thing. Mm-hmm. Teamwork
0: makes the dream. Who doesn't love teamwork? Makes work? the dream work. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, let's. Cam's like goddamn the on, management on. saying. <laughs> <laughs> great. Now I got another thing to edit out. So you, yeah, that's staying. Over. <laughs> you and i
1: both it know will that's stay.
0: not coming out <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's staying um paul let's go into our last round of deep dark secrets and learn a little bit more about you deep dark secrets wow yeah um Cam's going to lead the witness
1: unless you just want to start, like, spewing.
0: Yeah, if you just want to start spilling them.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Paul's like, when I was five, I stole a cookie. It was chocolate. (laughs) (laughs) Like, where are we going with this?
0: Where are we going with this? No, No, I I think uh,
2: for me, like, like, pineapple doesn't belong on pizza. And I think, like, fruit in general should not mix with any kind of non fruit thing. When we talk about food, the judges, judges don't agree with you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you, rare exception. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I'm not that, a fan but... of
0: the pineapple on pizza as well. No, um,
2: pineapple pineapple on pizza. I think
0: pizza should be cheese and sauce and, um, yeah. and or should have the fancy pepperonis that curl up. Cause if they don't <laughs> right. curl up, you know, you know, that's cheap pepperoni. And I'm just not I, about I, that. I think,
2: Really, to call it pizza it has to be like a wood fired. I'm really yeah. big on the the wood flavors uh, in cooking, and yeah, wood wood fired ovens are. where Disagree. Uh, also, I I really I'm into barbecue, um, but I really love rosé. Oh, so
1: high.
2: And why? it's yes. really pink and really
1: really now, girly. Oh, it screw that! Stereotype no, no, out no, there, right? no! It's right. I mean, I'm sitting here but wearing you'll a often pink see shirt, like, all like it's pink and blue, like so. Yeah, yeah no. But like you see, you know the
2: barbecue guys, right? And they're like, whatever you barbecue, and that's the number of beers you got to drink, right? So like, if it's brisket and it takes sixteen hours, like I'm drinking beer for sixteen I'll drink, hours. I'll drink rosé all, all the, Sunday. The beer cans, all right? Sunday. But I'll, I'll be I'll be barbecuing. I'll be in
1: front of my smoker, and I'll have my nice glass of rosé. They make a can. <laughs> they make a good. can rosé awesome. called Rosé All Day. They do, <laughs> and it's fabulous. Yeah. I've had that before. <laughs> you should. It is you awesome. should try, it. Yeah. Like sparkling yes. rose, yes. the spark. Oh, it's all yes. just,
2: oh, it's,
0: we should try amazing. to get a sponsorship for the, the all day can of rose. I will, pers- I will personally, is, I will
1: personally put in that call. I'm just like, look, here's the thing, guys.
0: Please,
2: yeah, because yeah. like white what. wines, I, I don't know that big on white wines, I like red wines. So when I drink something light, it's with wine. Yeah, it's, Sauvignon
0: it's is definitely my go. I, go. I would say the best beer, beer is usually, 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 let's just say, if you have this. You have this feeling it's maybe after a long day of working outside in the yard or something. Mm, yeah. I feel like that's the best time after that and, or just in the hot sun and stuff and you kind of reward yourself. Oh, but late speaking night. of the
2: sun. So that was my third dark secret. Cause I had three cool. for you guys. Oh, okay. Uh, Cause I love you so much. <laughs> I just saw my cousin actually, uh, who when we were much younger, went on vacation and we were in Florida and we discovered sun in and we thought, and, and like, I'm Italian and Armenian and he's on my Italian side of the family. So we all, we both have dark hair. We thought it'd be a good idea to use sun in because it was something new and, and different and our hair turned orange.
0: Ooh. Okay. Okay. Time, no no pictures.
1: <laughs> I don't, I don't know if their pictures exist. They're in the security business. Oh, They're pictures. No. No. I'll no. give no. you one more before no. Cam gets into the questions. Unicorn farts. It is a sour beer with edible glitter. Interesting. You have to try. Interesting. Uh, yeah,
0: it's called unicorn. I'm sorry. like anytime the, the mention of the word fart, and you just can't, can't hold it together. I can't. I don't care if I'm 90. You, I could yeah. be. I could be 90. It doesn't matter. I'm always going to be a child. And I'm not bad at, at you. It,
1: it, the can is also gorgeous, and there's literally a, a picture of a you unicorn if like you, pooping rainbows. You know, if you fart in your wallet, you you know what you get, right? <laughs> I feel a dad joke coming God. this morning. What was it? Gas yes. <laughs> Oh I,
0: I that's the, terrible. I, I that's awesome. I feel
1: the dad joke coming
2: on there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we love the dad jokes here at nice. Very nice.
0: That that was good. I'm gonna have to try to save that one. That was really good. I like it. Um, well, great. Uh, let's let's go into some of these questions. This uh, this could be interesting. If you could get rid of any state in the US which one would it be, and why? Ooh, tough. Wow. I'm, I'm yeah, not right. answering. I'm not the guess. <laughs> I know, right? Because no matter
1: one. what I, no matter what I say, I'm I'm gonna offend. To be someone. fair, there's that's, probably that's not... states where you will offend a small number of people, but most people will be like, "Yeah, no, we get it. It's we don't like it, but we understand. <laughs> but we understand. Like we don't even have to mention them by name. They'll be like, "Yeah, no, we we knew you were talking about us." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess
2: I guess it would be like it would have to be one of those states like you just fly over and we call them the flyover states, but it can't be South Dakota because John strand is my dear friend and and uh, I like to keep him in the state around, so maybe it would be North Dakota. Interesting.
1: I wasn't. Okay. I wouldn't have gone to friends in North Memphis, Dakota. And yeah, Idaho. Two of those from Idaho, so
2: like in that region of flyover states, North okay. Dakota. And I then, don't even know if I know anyone that in North Dakota, although the, the one friend that I have in North Dakota is going to hear this and, and chew me out.
1: South Dakota's <laughs> feeling pretty bullish about your... Uh, yeah, they're, they're like, we want to be the yeah. only Dakota. Yeah, too many Dakotas. Right. Yeah.
0: I don't know yeah. we yeah. should yeah. see how many active listeners we have in South Dakota, but uh, I would imagine it's very low.
2: South Dakota's got Mount Rushmore, right? So we can't get rid of that. So
0: Yeah. I'm not answering. <laughs> see it's hard it's hard you're gonna get uh you're gonna get both sides no matter what and people could take it let's let's leave the politics out of it but yeah um all right paul if you could star in a movie well let's just put it this way if there is a movie made about your your life and what would the genre be of the movie and who what famous actor would play you
2: I don't know about the actor, but it would have to be written and directed by Quentin Tarantino, like awesome. hands down, hands down. He just did Rogan, and I don't know that he's done an interview, uh, you know, like that for that length of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I would trust his ability to cast someone that would represent me. In the Quentin Tarantino style movie, that would just be. That's awesome. a tough job right. to
1: cast. I mean, yeah. he brought he brought back Travolta. He did. that's a tough I, one to cast. I, mean, I could see Travolta playing you, though.
0: I could. Yeah.
1: Maybe, maybe he I brings could. back Travolta. You kind again, of got those,
0: right? uh, the Travolta, yeah. what was the movie where he was like in the train? You got those vibes. <laughs> Um, they're all the same he movie he's just he's or... either in a train or a plane <laughs> yeah. like it's the same movie it's just it's yeah. he has a different face
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: but he was doing like a really kind of sad 90s movies like looking yeah. talking and then tarantino was Stop like "Dude, he did twins and he, he brought he did, no. yeah, oh he did. yeah i think so. yeah. He, he brought, he brought, him, brought back. him back
1: he brought I could back, also see sasha barra cohen playing you too though i could see that you got a you got a little Sasha thing going. Sasha I don't know Bear who that Cohen. is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, uh, and he's
0: really really diverse. He like, is. He, he, he can do pretty much anything. Plays Ali G. Um,
1: well, that's old school. What the hell did he do recently? He's um, he's Borat. Borat. He's Borat. But if you've only ever seen you've seen Borat though, that doesn't genuinely give you his range. No, no, like, no. His no. range is it's wild. His range is really deep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: What was his name in uh, Talladega Nights? That's one of my favorite characters. No, I don't remember, but he he, was in, he plays like the
1: he was in one recently. Was it the Oakland Seven, the Chicago Seven? What was that one on on, uh, on Netflix? It really, I think he won I an award for it. it. Really shows his range in this one. Anyway, that's but they, I can see that too. That's why, especially
0: Allie G, because doesn't Allie G have like the goatee? And- he does. His character kind of looks like, like Paul. It's called the Chicago 7, that's <clears> it. If you haven't seen the Chicago
1: 7, the Trial of the Chicago 7, Sasha plays one of the main characters in that, and you, you get to see him outside of his normal, goofy Ollie G, and and, uh, and, and what's the other character whose name I keep blowing, because obviously I'm old and I only remember his original works.
0: Oh, there's Borat, Borat. and there's yeah. uh, the other yeah. one. Um, he had another one, too, but... Um, um, Okay. Either way, you you had me at Tarantino. Um, mm-hmm. I was fascinated with when I saw his latest film in theaters because first of all, who doesn't love DiCaprio and uh, right. Brad Pitt and everybody else that was in that movie? It was just oh, so so perfectly like just one of his perfect the way his, his movies always always are. But I just obviously with those two main actors, just phenomenal. Hope I hope he doesn't stop for good like they said he will, but. I'm sure he'll make more movies. There's no way he's going to stop. There's no way. At least one more. Yeah. I mean, he's not that old. I don't know why I, he wants to I, stop. I hope,
1: but... it, I hope it's Kill Bill. Mm. Mm. That would be he pretty cool. he teased it, it Mike. Follow that link real quick. Cool. Cl- click that link. I'm not clicking click the link. You. You get, what's that... the worst that could happen? <laughs> what's the worst? Click the link. Would it kill you to click the
2: link? Close <laughs> my whole... <laughs> click my the whole
1: link. Community.
2: Come on. Oh, yeah. It kind of does... Yeah. <laughs> Does resemble yeah. me?
0: Yep. I mean, you know, besides the goggles or whatever those things are.
2: Well, I guess four
0: goggles, you know. I guess, yeah. Well, he's got the blue blockers. I'm sure they're blue blockers. That's funny. Um, all right, so let's see. Oh, you know what? I'm curious of what he's going to say to this because we've only asked this once um, on a couple a previous show. Um, if you, if you had to. Could you explain the color yellow to a blind person? How would you do it? Explain the color yellow? Yeah.
2: To a blind person. Wow. That's really, that's like the hardest question anyone's ever asked me. Isn't it? (laughs) How do you explain color to a a blind person? How do you indeed? Yeah.
0: yeah. What's the first thing that comes to mind?
2: You know, like a, a a traffic light when you speed up, that's, that's yellow.
0: You're,
1: you're in a car and, you're, and and someone, like, guns it, that's yellow. That's yellow. That's, that's yellow. That's the, the yellow.
0: feeling of yellow. That's yellow. That, judges that, will judges allow that. The judges will absolutely allow that. That's, yellow. That's, yellow. That's, that's perfect. Yeah, you just sit there and all of a sudden your
1: back is... is in the chair. That's yellow. <laughs> yes. Yes.
2: yes. You just... It's, uh, uh, it, it's interesting. I, um. Uh, well into I don't know, I'm uh, three quarters of the way through, but I'm listening to, exploding the phone uh, about original phone. Features. Oh yeah! yeah, yeah. And when I first started listening to this book, I'm like, oh, they're going to start with like the cliche, like yeah, you know, crunch. And what what I realized is that he doesn't show up to like midway through the book. And also, you, I learned that he was not the one that figured out the whistle was twenty six hundred. He got credit for it. Uh, which is also. He, he got credit for it, but he wasn't the first one. It was guys like Joe and Gracia yeah. and others who, by the way, most of the early phone, what made me think of it was they were blind. So I didn't know that,
1: but I'll say the and following because, hack the phone because system. Y- you, you and I have talked about this on shows before. Um, mm. I've got a little bit of a freaking background. The thing Crunch did was he figured out that the whistle in the box – replicated the same tone that the blue boxes that we would reconfigure from Radio Shack did. And those original blue boxes- But he wasn't the first one to get a hold of the the whistle. And those those blue boxes were were also originally, you're right, I hadn't thought about that in years, but they were for blind and deaf people to use. So you'd program in the phone numbers you wanted and you'd hold it back up to the speaker and it would replay the number because you couldn't see what phone number you were dialing. And it would it, do that for you. I also learned it
2: wasn't the it wasn't the first toy to emit a twenty six hundred hertz. Quite tone. Quite likely not. Yeah. There was something called a cat. It was like a cat and a canary that had like a flute in it, and someone figured out that could. Was that emit the thing with the slide with the tone? It, it was like a little slide yes, that you pulled. I believe in. so. Oh,
1: I didn't yes, know that.
2: Yes, but now Joe Ingresa was was special. Because he could whistle 20, at twenty six. Yeah, that's bananas. I remember hearing that. Yeah, so he walked by a payphone. Yeah. Someone be on a payphone, and he'd whistle, and the call would disconnect. I'm like, <laughs> that's crazy. That's some hacking that's, right that's there. That's the <laughs> shit right there. Yeah. Unfortunately, he, he passed away. A lot of the early, uh, I started looking these people up because I'm like, where are they? Like, can they come They're up? all show? up there and now. And yeah. A lot of
1: them, unfortunately, have passed away. That's cool. Yeah. Shit. Don't don't <clears> say <throat> that too loud. As I sit here and say, I used to freak. Like, no. I too <laughs> I too someday shall return to dust, so it is what it
0: is <laughs> so paul what um what is there one application on your smartphone that you use that you have to use that you don't like personally an
2: app on my phone that I have to use that I don't like. That's pretty much all of them, <laughs> actually. <laughs> uh, the one that really pissed me off recently is, uh, I, I won't name the names, but like I bought the smart sprinkler thing. Uh, so like it replaces your uh, the old analog thing that was your sprinkler with a smart sprinkler. So you mm-hmm. can like uh, activate your sprinkler system and set schedules from your phone. Uh, and, and that one just doesn't turn on. Like, I've gone through all the settings in the app about three times, and it, it just won't turn on. So, I, I, I'm buying a new one. So, I don't know if it's the app or the device, um,
0: but that one's really bad. It sounds like a great idea, though. Does it work?
2: It is actually kind of cool. Like, you impress your neighbors because I'll be just be standing <laughs> out, talking to my neighbors, be like, I got one on my grass now and I just whip on my phone and my sprinklers turn on and everyone's like, it's really good, for when,
1: it's good for when, it's good for when the solicitors show up or someone's dog's pooping on your lawn just yes. like, ah, make yeah. that go away. Uh,
0: <laughs> by the way, I can't stand that. The worst is when people put their dog poop in your trash cans that are on the street. If you haven't yes. pulled them in yet, because then it dries up and tracks flies. It's the worst. I can't, I'm. I'm gonna lose my mind. I don't have to go down on a rant for that, but that is one of my biggest, biggest pet peeves. Yeah, of people Facebook. That do that. Facebook
2: is also the other app that I have like a love hate relationship with because I hate the the feeds, yeah, uh, and some of the comment wars. But it's I also terrible. like seeing my friends on there that that I know in real life that I like is nice. But I also like the Facebook groups too. Cause yeah, I, I feel like that's one of the best benefits of Facebook is, is some yeah. of the groups got good stuff on. Barbecue memes, yeah. jokes, that kind of stuff is a great source but then you're like you're in the app and then you're like, yeah. Oh, I go check my feed and then there's just now there's stupid Poison. stuff happening in the feed. Yeah. Then people they think they're doctors making Facebook comments and
1: things <laughs> like that. <Yep. laughs> just, Everyone's you know. a doctor the on the internet. I'm a doctor. I'm two I'm two yes. doctors on the internet. You didn't know that, but I am. I'm two doctors on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a podiatrist and an epidemiologist. Well, um, <laughs> That's <laughs> it.
0: <laughs> well, Paul, um we really appreciate you taking the time to to join us and man, it's been really fun and uh thank you for what you do and for just being an inspiration an OG in this in this realm for me at, at least and uh, again, thank you for coming on our show. It's it's a it's a pleasure and uh excited to watch how, how things roll out for you with the the merger and really excited to see how things go
1: awesome it was a lot of fun guys thanks so much brother we're gonna talk soon it's always a pleasure seeing you i gotta get up there soon too by the way yes we should schedule that relatively soon can't wait to see you. i was in the northeast not too long ago. i'll be back again i'm gonna let you know yeah come back to the studio
0: right on i just wanted to thank all of you out there for tuning in each and every week and to all of our amazing guests for coming on i I know that there are millions of other shows and it means the world to have you with us on this journey. We are so grateful that you choose to listen to us each and every week. If you like the show, tell a friend, have them tell their friends, and then make, maybe make some new friends along the way uh, so we can continue to spread the word and keep learning together. Let's protect what matters most. And by the way, DJ, can you go ahead and drop that outro beat and keep it classy? We'll see y'all next week.